our mission. He's the missions director of the, of the fellowship. Uh, and again, a friend of mine, pastor at Full Gospel Temple in Eaton, Ohio. Brother Ken. Amen. Amen. Love you. Thank you, everybody. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. I get this opportunity this morning, tonight. I thank the leadership of this region. Uh, I served on the national board here for a few years and then uh, found myself over the last couple of years getting ready to be the director of the World Mission Department for the fellowship. And uh, when they were introducing, everybody's introducing, I had the same thought that Pastor uh, Daryl Merrill Jr. did, and that is uh, we have more, ri- more missions represented here than we do any other ministry gift. And uh, I like that. Amen. Matter of fact, I would venture to say, maybe I'm wrong, I've talked to the majority, what I consider the very active regions of the Full Gospel Fellowship out of the six regions, I think we have more missionary presence than any region in the Full Gospel Fellowship in the North Central. And I believe the reason why is we've put more emphasis on helping. I had one of the, uh, one of the regional VPs called me several months ago, well, last year, and said that uh, they don't have a lot of missionaries and want to know what they could do. And at that region, you know, over a period of time, they've just focused on one or two missionaries, and that's who got all of their support in that one region. And, uh, and they've committed, you know, at length to it. And so I said, well, you're boxing you're the missionaries out. They don't feel a place of belonging, and you need to break out of that. I said, I'd recommend that you do what we do, and that is make sure every missionary receives something. And if you've already committed a certain amount... You pastors and leadership get together. You raise that money and still bless them. But then you come together and you still make a place for everyone else. Missions is not something that uh, I want to share this real quick. Because I don't ever want to be, you know, some people get into positions and try to fulfill that position. And now I'm in a missions position, so I want to try to be a missions. It's like I've been, I've been around organizations where I preach at different conferences you take somebody that's a pastor of a church and they say you're going to be now the youth director for the whole organization. And they really didn't have a lot of influence on you, so they have to act and talk real youthy. And uh, you know what I'm saying? So you got somebody that's over a certain area, then they got to talk that. But uh, at age 13, while living in Pontiac, Michigan, at age 13, I went to a youth camp in Iowa. And uh, there, God, I had an encounter with God. They were ministering to youth around the altar. I was one of the ones. And uh, if you're facing the chapel, uh, the evangelist was over there, and I was standing about where I'm at, coming around the corner. And I fell out into the spirit. And it's as if I fell into a radiant, glorious light. And out of that, God began to speak to me audibly. Only two times it's ever happened. I tell people it's not the primary way God speaks to you, but I didn't have a clue on what it was to be led by God. Not a clue. Once you learn how to be led of God and how God speaks to you through his word, you don't need those, you don't need those supernatural way of God dealing with you because you know how he can still get to you. All right? But when I came to myself, I could not speak for hours. Not just in tongues, not in English. I couldn't speak. There was nothing out of my mouth, almost like Zachariah. And I couldn't say anything. I could do is weep. And I couldn't tell anybody for years because I didn't want somebody to think a 13-year-old was flaky. Uh, but God spoke to me about world missions at age 13. 
I left Michigan and came to a city in Ohio called Eaton, Ohio, and found myself under the leadership of Pastor Rothwell, which was a missions church. And there I developed that yearning and that desire. And uh, God put something in me, then put me somewhere where it can be cultivated. And so uh, that's where it's at. And so after all these years, uh, I feel like he's helped us take what he's taught us and give us influence to help other people. And so uh, Pastor Mark T. Barkley out of Midland, Michigan, has told me several times, he says, Kenneth, you're just like my pastor, John Osteen. You're just a missionary pastor in the church. That's all you are. And uh, I like it. And it doesn't matter what anybody, how anybody views it. I don't think missionary is a, a second-class citizen. I think they're at the top with God because God loved missions so much, he made his son Jesus the first one. And being that it was his heartbeat, I think this region has founded our heartbeat. Amen. And uh, so thank you for that. And uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to serve God in his kingdom. And we're going to go from there. I want to read some, a verse. And matter of fact, I was sharing with uh, Jim Glenn, a uh, fellow sitting right here yesterday, and this was on my heart. And some of the things that, that uh, Pastor Merrill was saying this morning during uh, the devotion time kind of goes with that. It's not exactly all I'm going to say, but I really felt to uh, share this, and it was confirmation this morning. So I wanted to share some verses in this area. Uh, so if you have your Bible, which either on paper form or electronic form, however you prefer it. Uh, I use both, uh, but I like, the, uh, I like them both ways. Let's read a verse. I just want to read this. Not, it's not going to be my main thought today and tomorrow. It's going to spring from it. But turn to Second Chronicles chapter 24. This may be something he was going to share tomorrow. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 24. We're going to be done out of here by a quarter till. And if you haven't... Uh, you know, I'm looking forward. I've never... I can't say I've shot, I've shot shotguns and trap shooting in the state of Illinois, but I never shot a handgun in the state of Illinois. And the reason why I've never shot a handgun in the state of Illinois, because the state of Illinois has a, has a no-gun policy in their state to carry. And you cannot legally carry a weapon or have a gun. Matter of fact, it's illegal to have a gun in the city of Chicago. That's why you have no crime. That's why it's the safest place to live. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, where we come from, we carry. And uh, where I come from, we about all carry. And uh, you won't hardly find many days without having one in my pocket. Because I'm an American and I believe in the Second Amendment and I carry one about everywhere I go. Is it because you're in fear? No, it's because I like it. Amen? There's just something there that I like. Someone says, man... I finally got a gun. I said, a gun? <laughs> Come on, man. Get your vision higher. <laughs> a gun? I have a policy. There's always room for one more. So, uh, but anyway, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be there. And uh, we're going to take care of it. And... I'm going to enjoy it. Shooting a handgun in Chicago. That is going to be an amazing thing. Or in, in Illinois. It's going to be an amazing thing. All right. Are we ready? Let's, let's look at something here. And I want to read a verse. Verse 24. Joash 
was seven years old. Of chapter 24, verse 1, I'm sorry. Joash was 24 years old when he began to reign. I mean, seven years old, 24. He was telling you where I'm at and I'm getting confused. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years. My, my son would be nine next month. It'd almost be like I, I read these verses not long in church. I said, it'd be almost like me bringing Joshua up and say, he's going to be your new pastor at nine years old. How many knows that wouldn't go very well? Nine years old? But he was seven years old when he began to reign. Now, I want to look at something. He reigned 40 years. That's a pretty good tenure. Uh, how many has been pastoring over 40 years? Let me see your hand. Over 40 years. You got several people that's pastoring over 40 years. Some people pastor 30 years. And like Pastor Rothwell, he's doing another area of ministry. And he's not in the actual pastoral part. But 40 years to reign. That's a, you have to be somewhat successful. Amen. How, how do you pastor the same church for 40 years without having some kind of success? A smart man would just drop back 10 and punt after 5. But 40 years he reigned. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days. Now, usually you hear all the days of his life. But we're not going to find that. All the days of Jehoiada, the priest. Oh. As all the days of Jehoiada. Jehoiada was his leader. It was his pastor. It was his prophet. It was the one who spoke. Now, over here, verse 15, but Jehoiada got old. Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. A hundred and thirty years old was he when he died. I guess at that age you have the right to die, don't you? And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel towards God and towards God's house. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made of obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them. He went from a shepherd, his leader, to listening to young princes. And they left the house of the Lord of their fathers and served groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for, for this their trespasses. I noticed that as long as there was a spiritual leader in his life, he did right. As long as there was a voice in their life, they did right. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. So what does that mean, without a vision, the people perish? The, another good translation or rendition says, without a strong voice of leadership, my people cast off restraints. Now, it's always amazing that preachers got this down when it comes to the lay people in their congregation. It's just that they don't have it down when it comes to their own life sometimes. That's what becomes so amazing. I'm very, I'm very sincere about honor and about respecting the leadership in your life. Pastor Rothwell, I, 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 have a hab, I have to force myself to call him that because all I've ever called him was dad. And uh, regardless of what happens, I'll, no one can ever take that away. 
of what he is to me and what he's done to me and been to my life. When he was no longer pastoring, and I knew I was coming to the church immediately, I didn't go looking for another father. I had one. But I made sure that there was another pastor that was still active in that area that could speak into my life. Why? Because I don't want to fall short in this last day. I want to be everything that God wants me to be. And when Jehoiada goes home to be with the Lord, I want to be smart enough to realize, as what Pastor Merrill said this morning, that there's another man has a voice. I was just sharing this. This is not just going to come off that. They were witnesses yesterday. Uh, I'm a private pilot. I love airplanes. I'm, a, I'm an instrument rated pilot. Uh, last Monday, I went and got my re, I got recertified. I was to get my currency all back into place. And, and uh, I was in, I was stopped by a flight school before we get to the word here. I'm going to tell you the story to tie together. I was in Tyler, Texas, preaching a meeting some years ago. And this is before I started pastoring. So it was before seven years. It was longer than seven years ago. And I was at, uh, at uh, Tyler, Texas uh, School of Aviation. And their flight school there, and a friend of mine was taking flight training. He had been a pilot for years, but he was getting a new rating, and, and he was going there. And the man that owned the flight school was, was a uh, black man, and, uh, and he was talking. I knew he was a military, and, and he flew in that day in a twin engine, and the next day I was there, he flew in a single engine. And where he lives at, apparently there's a small airfield by his house, and he flew in and out. And so one day afterwards, I asked him, I said, uh, did you learn to fly in the military? He said, no, in the military, I didn't fly. What I, I said, what did you do in the military? What was your job description? He said, I was an in-flight refueler. He said, I was the one who ran the one that left the aircraft and went attached to the other aircraft to refuel them. Now, I'm always fascinated with that because I think it's the one of the most amazing things that can happen. I said, I've seen that. Explain to me how that works. And as he was explaining that, it's as if the Spirit of God took me back into school. And so uh, I drew this picture yesterday for Brother Glenn. Uh, we were talking about some things. And I said, uh, he said, we would get at one altitude. The aircraft that needed to be fueled was at another altitude. And we'd fly. You've seen the pictures. And the wand would come down. And, and they'd have to connect. And we'd refuel them. And they can continue to go. And God began to deal with me about submission and alignment to those that are in authority over us. And so many times, if, they did, if you are not able to be refueled while you're in flight, your only option is, is you must land. I was flying a 210, and we were heading to Brownwood, Texas, and this 210 was about a 190-mile-an-hour airplane. The 210's a Cessna. It's a retract gear. It's faster. And, and uh, we were hauling two other uh, men and a lady back home uh, that uh, brought an airplane up from Texas. And... And we uh, mapped it out to be in Brownwood, Texas from our area in six hours. But we hit a headwind of about 78, 78 to 80 miles an hour headwind coming up from the south. And we were flying at the pace of a 172 and some, at one time semis and cars were going faster than us and we were in a 190 mile an hour airplane. And uh, we couldn't even make it. It got dark on us. And so we had to land and to get fuel. And then we had to land again and to get fuel because we burned so much fuel because of the opposition and the opposing forces. 
with the weather going on there and all the wind opposing you, it's almost like that airplane, and we sat in that sky. We, it was like, it wasn't a joyful flight, it was a toiling flight. We toiled. Toiled. We were going somewhere, but we were not going anywhere. And we stopped in Texarkana right after dark. And we had to get a hotel. We had to pay for expenses to get a hotel and, and to get in there because of the weather. We were toiling in that weather. And so uh, when, I, when he was explaining this about in-flight refueling, I actually believed in my heart that so many of us, we, we get all, you know, the biggest fuel burn is on takeoff. You got to have your big, your most powers on takeoff. And so you got to get out there and you take off. And once you're flying there, you're thinking, man, I'm making good time. But all of a sudden, you got to land because you don't have enough fuel. And you got to get take time. And you got to get ready. And you got to get back in the pattern. This is, this is a 7 9 mic. We're ready for active runway. Uh, ATC says 7 9 mic, please hold. We got three aircraft in front of you. And so you got to go off of that. And your time is getting away from you. You got to go through all of those things. And you're wondering, what's going on? But I'm thinking, what if. We were able to be submitted to someone that knows how to refuel us. Not only to God, but to men of God that's under us. But this refueling process can take place only when we're in direct submission and direct alignment. If the one that needs to be refueled saying, I don't want to go that direction, I want to fly this headquarters, I want to fly that heading. You've got to be able to stay in the realm of submission for this to work. Submission is everything when it comes to this taking place in your life. And I believe the greatest promotion in ministry comes when people understand on how to live this way. I know, I know you're, you're my leader, but I really don't want to do it that way. Uh, I want to fly this way. Well, you're going to have to land, hardhead. All you've got to do is fall back in line and fall back in submission. And he'll be able to fuel you. And the time it takes for you to be up and down, up and down, you can get where God called you to be. And so I believe this last days that we're in, this is not a new doctrine. I believe it's going to have to become revelation to people's hearts. We've got too many people. I've asked people over and over. Who's your leader today if you got into a jam? Who can you call that would be honest? That you could call their cell phone and get a hold of them. Well, uh, uh, it's a couple, well, uh, us, and I know. They're out there on their own. Maybe one of two reasons. Maybe they don't know who. And maybe they didn't see the reason for it. Or maybe they just want to do their own thing. All three are very dangerous. All three are very dangerous. And so uh, that word you spoke this morning was so right on. It was right with my heart. And uh, Pastor David Shipman and they were there yesterday. So we were just talking about this. It's right in my heart that it doesn't matter where we're at in ministry. We still got to have somebody that knows how to refuel us while we are still in flight. While we are still in flight. Amen. Because when you get an opposing force, you're going to burn more fuel, more energy. And what if there's not a runway close by that you can get to? You better know that there's somebody with a phone call or something that can 
attach their faith with you and begin to put faith and energy back inside of you so that you can continue to keep going and to keep moving. Amen? And uh, may that just be something that resonates in your heart. All right? May that be something to resonate in your heart. Okay. Now, I'm going to move over into some things. I really felt appointed of God to really say that. And uh, I want to move over into the book, or move back where we're at, to the book of Joshua. I've been ministering now the book of Joshua. And Ben's, I've been ministering now, love it. I'm not going to change when I get here because I don't believe it's just a message just to our local congregation. I believe it's something that God has put in my heart because I travel still quite a bit. And I, I still minister to the body of Christ and to other and, and other areas. And, uh, uh, but God has really dealt with me uh, about some things. And, and uh, this area, just a, a portion of it that I felt impressed today is how to really make it to your promised land. Or what, what guarantees you the right to get there? You know, most people are not short on vision. Most people are not short on on what, what they want to do. If nothing else, they, they get really good at talking about it. And I found out just talking about visions and dreams makes some people feel good, even though they may not have enough faith even when pressed to it. Just talking about it makes them feel good. But how do we get out of just talking about it, making it feel good, and step into it to make it really reality? See, there's an area uh, about faith that people have to understand. The Bible says that whosoever say in this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. Right? And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. How many people believe that's Mark eleven twenty three? Amen. That didn't come out of Tulsa, that came out of the Bible. And uh, it said, So what things whoever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them. Believe that you receive them when you pray. Believe that you receive them when you pray, and you shall have them. That's what it is. But you know what, I remember when I went to Ramah 28 years ago. I was with there with, with John Paul over there. And uh, all I heard was that if you prayed more than once, then you're not in faith. So if you pray and you got to go pray again, there were some people, man, for every little negative word I said, I got rebuked. And uh, which uh, I'm glad that I learned to put a guard on my mouth to begin with. Uh, but every little negative thing, like, well, if you pray twice, you're, you're, you're not in faith. And so I've got to thinking, is it wrong to pray twice? Is it wrong to believe God in a certain way? What if you're in the midst of a battle and you feel like you've got to pray twice? If you pray twice or have somebody agree with you twice, now does that eliminate the first prayer? Because the first prayer you really believed, but you didn't receive it, so did you really believe it? So if you pray twice... Am I really out of faith? So uh, I don't want to be out of faith, even though I'm out of faith. So I don't know what to do. The Bible says that when you pray, believe you receive. Now, what if you don't really believe that you received? It didn't say that you didn't believe that God's able. It said if you believe that you received it, that means it's actually there. Even though you didn't have it in your hand, it's actually there. You believe that you received it, you shall have it. Now, what happens in between the prayer and to when you get it in your hand? There is a, there's a time period in there. And, and I, I tell people this, that if you don't believe 
that you received it when you pray, you keep praying until you actually get it. You stay in the Word of God until you pray, until you believe you receive it, because one day you're going to pray it, and something's going to happen, and you say, I believe it's mine, and no one can convince me, and it doesn't matter the time length now, you know it's going to show up. But when you're in the midst of a battle, that is very difficult. That is very difficult. And we can formalize it all we want, but it's very difficult. I don't know how many times I have broke the laws of the Word of Faith movement by going back and repraying over and over. But I knew the moment that I believed I received. And once I knew I received it, why should I pray about it anymore? See, we, set, we got people into bondage, but we never told them on how to stay out of condemnation until you believed you received it. And I'm watching people, seasoned people in ministry, still struggling with this aspect. They've got all of this dream and vision, but they don't know when they really believe they got it. Because our tendency is we want it right now. When God told Moses, I'm taking the people into, uh, I'm pulling, the, I'm, I'm taking, you know, once they left Egypt, you know, according to Moses, you know, within a few days, we're there. He didn't realize it was going to be 40 years. And, and uh, I'm sure he didn't think that he would be buried in Moab. I'm convinced he didn't think that he would see it but not, not make it in. But I want to look at this aspect of it. What guarantees us the right to make this in? All right, Joshua chapter 1, I'm just going to rehearse some things. We'll come back at some of this tomorrow. Joshua chapter 1, we find Moses is dead. And now Joshua is coming up. And there's a reason why Joshua is the leader. And I'm going to refer to that tomorrow. Between Joshua and Caleb. Why Joshua and not Caleb? Uh, of course, that's God's plan. But I've seen some things in Joshua that positioned Joshua to be in this position. There's some things he did and some things, that, some things that he operated in that really put him in this position to do what God had prepared for him to do. But then we find them coming to a place here and... Uh, Chapter 4 becomes a very popular uh, chapter that most of you have preached, and uh, it's nothing there. And uh, that is the part where it says in verse 1, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and came to Jordan, and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. Before they passed over what? The Jordan River. On the other side of the Jordan River, that is where the promised land began. Remember, 12 spies had already been in there. This is not the first time God's people's been in there. This is the first time they're going in together. Now, God had a promise for His people, didn't He? It's called the promised land. This was the promised land. And up to this time, up to this time right here, we have only ten tribes is really going to go in because two of them says that we'd rather stay on this side. Could you imagine they, were, they had flocks and herds and they saw a place and said, this has got to be the best land for us to live. We would rather sacrifice the place where God wants us and settle for what we think is good. See, people look at that and not think, and it was, I don't believe it was the will of God for them to stay on this side of the Jordan. But it looked good to them. But we don't have to do a whole lot here. Moses said, go back to Moses, he says, uh, all right, you can do this, but you will discourage the other people if you don't help them get into the promised land. So they were smart enough to give their life to go to help them get into the promised land. Then those two people, after seeing all what God did in the promised land, 
they had to come back across the Jordan and go back to what I believe was second best. That's another message that we probably need to hear. See, we, we focus up on the other side of Jordan, but what about the ones that decided this looks good enough to us? And I think sometimes in ministry we get to the place to where we don't want to fight any more battles. We don't want our church to go through, our people to go through any more battles. Let's just stay on this side. This side's fine. Let's just stay right here. We're going to help other people get there, but we're just going to be satisfied short of God's promised land to us. So they're at the Jordan here. And then we come to the verse 5. He talks about a space in between them, and you can have your own doctrinal uh, viewpoints on why that space was in there. I have mine, you can have yours. It's a an, it's an non-essential. But verse 5, Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. Now sanctification, surely. That, that subject hasn't, you don't hear a whole lot about that anymore. My, my church administrator was raised in the Nazarene church. His dad is still a Nazarene pastor. And I just had lunch, had breakfast with them last week, and I got to asking them about this because the Nazarene and their doctrine, one of their core doctrines is what? Sanctification. But you realize that's not hardly one of their core doctrines anymore. There's a lot of things that slipped. You know, I've grown up in young Pentecost, every testimony service. Thank God I'm saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Even if, they, even if they, if they hadn't seen victory for years, they're still saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and prayed that God would just make a way for me to make it in. Oh. Where's victory at that? Where's victory in that? But there was something about that was important to God about sanctification, which the general definition, what? Separation. It's time to separate. Now, this, this is going to, we're going to move into this a little different. There's a separation to get into here. I believe that there is a destiny that goes along with the destination that God wants us to get to. And I'm seeing a lot of frustrated church leaders that are frustrated because it seems impossible, regardless of their conversation, regardless of what they say, they're frustrated because they can't get to where they see God wants them to be. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll be the first one to tell you I've been there. You can see the promised land. There's the Jordan. How difficult can it be to get there? And what's more discouraging, once you get there, the first thing you find is Jericho. Well, I worked so hard to get here, and this can't be the will of God, Harley, because there's more battles. So there, sanctify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So they sanctified themselves. God brought them across the Jordan. God brought them across the Jordan. But I want to focus on chapter 5. Chapter 5. And it came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites which were on the side of the Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the people, children of Israel, until we're all passed over. 
that their hearts melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Now, why was that? Because all of the testimonies of what God did for the children of Israel. Did they deserve all of those testimonies? No. Sassy, belligerent, doubtful. But God still did it. You realize that the church in the, the, church in the wilderness, God's people, they were really a backslide bunch of people. They were backslid. And I'm going to show you something. At the time the Lord said... That's a little harsh here. At the time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make sharp knives. Now, I don't like this. Sharp knives. Because they're not like the knife that I carry, that I have, that I hunt with. You know, uh, I have some pretty sharp knives in case we'd kill a deer or something. You know, you need sharp knives. Uh, nice stainless steel sharp knives. This was flint knives. Now, make sharp knives and circumcise again. Now, again? Now, when you first read that and you stopped, it's almost like you're circumcised and we're going to circumcise you again. Once you're circumcised, you can't be circumcised again. That'd be a little... What are you going to circumcise? The foreskin's gone. You're going to... What, what else is to do? So when you look at that, circumcise them again, but explains the children of Israel a second time. Well, what, what happened? Where, where were they at the first time? And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of foreskins. Now, you know, that may not be the place you want to pastor, the hill of foreskins. I don't know if you could grow a big congregation at the hill of foreskins. I've never, out of all the places I've traveled, I've never been, I've never preached at a church. I preached at Calvary Church. I preached at Grace Church. I preached at, you know, Prayer Mountain Church. But I've never preached at the hill of foreskins church. Never. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. This is why he circumcised. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Why did they die by the way? Because they were disobedient. They were disobedient. I spent weeks going through what really happened on that journey. Now all the people that came out were circumcised. So that tells me when they left Egypt, every male was circumcised. Because on the eighth day, this was a law which was part of God's covenant. And the circumcision was the scar or the seal of God's covenant. Is God a covenant God? Are we a covenant people? Is it based upon a covenant word? Alright, so during the 40 years of this church in the wilderness... Half of them backslid, half of them are gone. God had to wait for a new generation to come up so he can bring them in there. That means the whiners and the complainers actually held the other ones up. And so they're into a new group of people. Now, wouldn't that be something? I would like to think that all of God's people, the ones that God called, even though you go through a wilderness time, or no matter what you do in your journey, you would keep the promises of God first place in your life. 
you would think that God's Word would still stand supreme. We have another generation that's getting ready to go into the promised land that were never circumcised. Have you ever asked yourself, why were they not circumcised to begin with? Were they so backslid and so blind that they never circumcised themselves? Maybe there's reasons why. Maybe because of a word that we get so caught up in called provision. Well, here it is. Why should I have to sanctify and circumcise? God's already meeting my need. I got manna every day. I had quail come in on me. We got enough water to feed our flocks. Surely I'm all right with God. Surely uh, God's pleased with me because God's already providing all of my needs. So that goes to show me that just because God is providing basic needs doesn't mean you are in the covenant where God wants you to be. I'm watching Christians and some preachers live sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. All under. Now, now I'm not not one of these anti-grace people. Thank God for grace. I am who I am only by the grace of God. But I'm watching people take some of this to the extreme. To the extreme. I finally stood up and said, I'm going to preach on grace today. I I didn't say one thing about anybody. But I say, if we, I come to the conclusion that if I preach truth, they're not going to have to wonder, what does pastor believe about this? You know, in 4, it said, in grace, grace was upon them all. I believe the reason why, there's a lot of reasons why other people think it, but one of the reasons why there's such a preaching of grace today is because there's no other way for us to culminate these last days without it, number one. You're saying, why do you believe that? Because, number one, you are saved. That's sozo. That means not just born again. Your whole total life is by grace through, it's not by faith through grace, it's by grace through faith. Now why was great grace upon them? Because the church was at the maximum persecution. They were commanded not to teach and preach no more in that name. They were put in jail. They were commanded to shut up. They were beat. They went back to their own company and began to pray. God shook the place. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and great grace upon them. Why? To get them through what they were going through. I've never seen the church in my day more persecuted in what we believe and not using the name of Jesus. This is the most extreme I've ever experienced. And if we're going to make it through this with victory, we have to have this great grace upon us. And I'm going to keep it in that priority. It's because of where we're at. That's why grace has to be preached. But we can misinterpret and make it for something that it's not. But great grace is upon us because we are in great persecution. And if the government has their way, regardless of what form of government it is, Republican, Democrat, whatever, once, if they have their way, they will always keep people in bondage. But great grace has got to be upon us. So I understand this grace, and I understand some people, but I'm watching, I'm watching people associate success with provision. God must really have his hand up on that church. Look at them. Look at them. The rich. Rev- Revelations even says to the church, you're rich and you thought... Apparently that didn't move the king of the church at all, did it? It didn't move him at all. And I think we get so caught up, it can't be that bad to, 
I mean, I'm married, I pastor, but I still have a mistress and God's still blessing me. People's come to the church. The offers are still good, so it can't be that bad. If it was, God would take his provision away from me and, and God's provision is still there, so it can't be that bad. So why should I have to go over there and get a chair and go to the cross? Because why do I need that when God is still providing for me and as long as God's providing for me, everything must be all right. I'm concerned about this. Folks, their shoes didn't wear out. I wouldn't want to wear the same shoes for 20 years anyway. Somewhere they're going to go out of style, but who would know it? You know, they didn't all, you know, the people didn't all stay the same size either. So something, when they grew, something else had to grow. You know, they didn't look like Jethro Bodine with his little pants up here. With a rope around his waist. Somewhere down the line, when the boys begin to grow, maybe the pants begin to lengthen. Nothing wore out. Surely the miracle of provision is upon us. God is pleased. Uh, I let you get by this in the wilderness. But I'm bringing you into a place now where it's going to take more than what you have given me. Sanctification is going to come back into play here. I can't have you keep living this way and get you into the battle and you're thinking that I'm going to fight for you by the way you're living. Something's got to change. Something has got to change. Something's got to change somewhere. I, 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 I'm watching, I'm listening to people talk and and some of the folks, I, I'm, I'm not one of those people that are, that, that are just so strict, but yet I am. If I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of cautious. I, I, I just can't understand on why we keep hearing about so much filth, not in the lay people, but in the leadership of the church of Jesus Christ. You know why somewhere down the line we thought circumcision was no longer necessary? Not of the flesh, but of the heart. It's not about the flesh anymore. But it's of the heart. The ones that were born in the wilderness were not circumcised. Have you ever asked yourself, why? In essence, it's if it's all you're looking for is basic provision, just enough, so you got to realize wilderness was just enough. You, this is how much money you get every day. No more. If you get you more than you need, it spoils. You're restricted to just my promise of provision. And people have learned to operate within just the realm of provision. I don't want the realm of provision. I want the realm of blessing. I want the blessing of God, which maketh rich and adds no sorrow to it. I don't want to be the one who builds the house and looks back and finds out it's still in vain. All my friends pats me on the back and say, look what you did. And it's hay, wood, and stubble. And it's gone. I, I'm not going to take that risk. Had someone tell me, I admire your stand for what's right. And you make me want to live better. 
I just don't think is necessary for me. Well, one day, my works is going to be tried. It doesn't matter how it looks at. I'm not going to stand before the great white throne judgment. But my works is going to be looked at. All seven churches, he said the same thing. I know thy works. You guys make it all about works. Not me. The head of the church says, I know your works. I didn't... I know your works. That's what he said. Okay. For all the people came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them, they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that floweth with milk and honey, and their children whom he raised up in their stead. Them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. He emphasized it again. They had not. They had not circumcised them. That tells me that the generation before did not find it necessary. Now, the more I look at it, we're almost in the third generation of people not seeing it necessary to walk right and clean before God. I still can't, I still can't dismiss the Scriptures, who will come into my holy hill? Who will come into the mount of the Lord? Those with clean hands and those with a pure heart. I, I, I don't know how you justify or try to formulate that any other way. There's something about your hands being clean and your heart being pure. There's certain things I don't do, not because they're sin. They're just not necessary for me. I'm not a boring person. I love sports. I, I mean, I'll watch it all day if I had a chance. I love guns. I love hunting. I love it all. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a boring person. But I want to please God. I'm not going to please God by works. I'm going to please God by faith, even though my works is going to play a part in this. It's going to play a part in this. I'm going to read one more verse because we're going to, I'm going to pick this up tomorrow. I'm trying to get a foundation thing here so I can launch tomorrow. I'm just taxiing to the runway. We're going to take off tomorrow. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people, they all abode in their places in the camp till they were healed or whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Notice they were under some kind of reproach. When you were circumcised, I have rolled away the reproach. The reproach. This is a, this is a thing of reproach. It, it's, it's the rolling away. So he says, now that the reproach is off of you, now I'm getting ready to do something for you that I couldn't do before. I am going to show you now what a covenant God does for a covenant people. All you've got to do now is to learn obedience. Now, you want to talk about how a group of people can walk around a city once a day 
for six days and seven times on the seventh day, 13 times, and keep their mouth shut? There's something that happens when there's alignment that takes place again in people's lives. They see the importance of thus saith the Lord and different things that transpires. And he says, when you were just concerned about provision, I can't do for you what I'm getting ready to do for you right now. I'm going to show you what covenant to covenant will do for you again. I'm going to show you what's going to happen. Folks, I'm not good enough to bring down my own Jerichos. I'm not good enough to go in there and do it. I mean, I don't have the natural means to get it done. But my covenant gives me a promise with God that if I keep myself right and I make sure the reproach is rolled away, God is going to drop the walls flat down. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to try to go into ministry without this. Last night, I wasn't, I wasn't going to fail of going to that chair. I wasn't going to fail. The first thought that came to me was, well, you don't really need to go right now. I'll just tell you, the first thought came to me. But I'm thinking... No. No, what I do, everything, so many lives depend on what I do. So many lives depend on what I do. There's only one way up, and that's down. If water runs to the lowest point and seeks its own level, then by trying to build yourself up to something you're not, you'll never get the flow of God's Spirit to where you need to be. I'm going to go to that chair. Why, every chance I get, I'm going to make sure that Gilgal is dealt with. The reproach is rolled away. Because I don't know tomorrow, Jericho may be standing right in front of me. And I want to make sure there's enough shout left in me to shout when it's time to shout. Then let God take care of the rest. Amen? Amen. I've been cleared for the runway, and we're going to take off tomorrow. How's that? All right, let's stand together. Hallelujah. Just stand, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for getting into our hearts. I've been partaking of this since January. You've really stirred me. Father, if there's anyone here justifying any form of sin, or as Hebrew says, even the weights, if they're trying to justify it at any level, Holy Spirit, I know they're born again. May they get dissatisfied with just provision. May they desire the milk and honey. I ask you, Master, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Good word. I uh, 